You're listening to the Winsight Podcast Network. For a low-labor, high-quality Mexican food service program, get naughty. Naughty Chili Taqueria's Quickie Burrito Mixes are made for convenience. Just thaw, heat, and serve for the easiest food service ever. On the web at NaughtyChili.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Hannah Hammond, Senior Editor at CSP Magazine, and this is At Your Convenience Podcast. Today, I have Melissa Vonderhaar with me, who for the past several years has written our special behind-the-counter magazine issue, which just launched this June. How are you doing today, Melissa? I'm doing great, Hannah. Happy to be here. It's always nice to take a break from my day job and talk tobacco, nicotine, cannabis, now Kratom. Um, <laughs> yeah, certainly no shortage of things to discuss. Right. I feel like we could talk almost all day with everything that's been going on in these categories. Uh, but first, I wanted to ask you, since you've been working on the future of behind the counter issue the last few years now, um, I was curious what stood out to you while writing it this year. Sure. So it's interesting. The first year, I believe the first year I started working on this project was kind of in the height of the pandemic, which really shook up what was going on. Um, you know, tobacco historically has been one where it's the story of cigarettes declining. That's being offset some by OTP and poly usage and pricing. Then in 2020, we really saw an anomaly. Um, I'll, I'll look to the data, courtesy of Don Burke. Uh, they saw units, total nicotine units, up 3.8% in 2020. So that was the first year that I worked on this. And it really was a great historic year for tobacco sales. Mm -hmm. And we still saw those increases or leveling of the playing field happen in 2021. 2022 into 2023, we've now seen kind of that return to normal, the declines that we expected uh, per MSA data. It was down 7.1% in 2022. Now that's units, so pricing puts it a little bit more level. Uh, but one of the differences I really noticed it, uh, kind of pre and post pandemic is the diversity of what is behind the counter. Uh, you know, pre pandemic, it really was vape, cigars smokeless and cigarettes. Now you're seeing new products in all of those categories, except perhaps cigarettes. And then you're also seeing the inclusion of alternative products, not just CBD, but yeah. a bunch of other cannabinoids as well as Kratom. Uh, and, you know, who knows what else is coming, but it's, it's really a much more diverse set behind the counter. Yeah, it's interesting how things are shifting. I mean, I talked to a retailer who happened to have stores in California the other day, and she said, for example, her cigarette space just keeps shrinking down. And I talked to another person who was, yeah, trying to find space for all of that, like, innovation that you talked about. You know, he's like, it's tough when you're under contracts for cigarettes and certain things, but he's wanting to bring in more modern oral nicotine and um, maybe even some low nicotine cigarettes, things like that. So I think that it's getting even tougher for those category managers to choose what to put on it. Cause like you said, there's so many things now. Well, and that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And you're probably already seeing it in states like California and Massachusetts, how those contracts yeah. change. If suddenly menthol is out of the picture, does that space yeah. still need to be cigarettes or will manufacturers be more open to alternative products? Um, you know, even alternatives within the nicotine space. I know a lot of them are very dedicated 
to moving beyond smoking. So it'll be very interesting to see how that evolves in the face of some of these more negative regulatory actions. Yeah, yeah, that's a a good question and definitely something to to keep an eye on. Um, And I know you talked to four retailers for this year's story that you worked on, too. So after hearing from them, like, what do you feel like is top of mind for those C-store category managers now? Sure. I mean, one thing that does not change in tobacco and nicotine is regulations are always top of mind. Even when I ask them what keeps you up at night besides regulations, it comes back to regulations. Right. That's, I saw that section was short for that question. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, so, I mean, it's interesting because you think about the other things of concern for the convenience industry, inflation, mm-hmm. getting stuff behind the counter, and regulations plays a role in all of that. What convenience True. retailers can sell comes down to what they're allowed to sell given their state or local rules. Uh, you know, inflation is going to hit a lot harder in a state like mine. I'm in New York, where the excise tax is somewhere around ten dollars. That wow. cigarettes wow. is suddenly a lot more expensive to purchase than it is in my home state of Missouri. Um, so it just all comes back to regulations, and I can't say that I blame retailers for having that top of mind, even when we're asking them what else. Concerns. Yeah, definitely. It just and they're going to raise it in New York, right? Do I have that right? They're they're okay, or they're planning they're on raising the tax again? Yeah, yeah. I think they're trying to raise. I, I'm in New York City, so we get like both the state and city excise tax, and that might be what the ten dollars is. But it's yeah, it's yeah, truly wild. You see the cigarette prices when you walk by, and it's how does anybody afford to smoke? Definitely, yeah. Well, yeah, we touched on like the certain regions that are maybe hit hard. Like we know Massachusetts and California now have the statewide bans of flavored tobacco products. Um, how do you think that may show us more signs of like what we may see in other states or nationwide? Like what are you keeping an eye on in that respect? Absolutely. So this is an example of something. And I think Tom Bryan is probably the originator of this quote, but it's the these things start on the coasts and they move inward. And once enough states have passed, it becomes federal. So we have seen this with Tobacco 21. We've seen it, you know, less officially, but effectively with the e-cig flavor bans. And now we're seeing, seeing it with menthol. You can't say, well, I operate in Missouri or Louisiana and we're a tobacco friendly state. So it doesn't matter what Boston is doing because it starts in Boston and it makes its way to D.C. and it goes national. Um, And menthol is just the latest example. So it's really, really important for all retailers to pay attention to what's going on in the kind of regulation heavy states because it might seem out there. But now the FDA is looking very seriously to ban menthol and flavored cigars, which has been happening on the coasts, you know, for years yeah, and I want to talk about that a little too, because we saw they in the spring unified agenda, the FDA, you know, put out its kind of estimated timelines for when these rules will be finalized. And it seems pretty clear that the the menthol cigarette ban and the flavored cigars is, is the final rules coming in August. Now that doesn't mean it'll take effect right away. I think they're required to wait at least a year, if not two. Um, and then there's the lower nicotine level and cigarette issue, which now they're not expecting to release that rule till. December. Um, Is there any way for us to tell what we could be expecting the FDA to say here? Do we just have to wait to read the rule? What do you think? (laughs) The lower nicotine standard, honestly, like that really 
really has me for a loop just in as much as this is something that they've never done before. Right. So it's not banning a product. It's not an application process. This is fundamentally changing how the largest part of the tobacco category product is made in cigarettes. And without kind of a clear, you know, we don't know what they mean by lowering the nicotine levels, you know, and we know that in e-cigs and vape, the nicotine levels are pretty clearly marked, but that's not really something people look for in cigarettes. We don't know kind of if there's going to be a gradual reduction or just a by X date, all cigarettes must have this amount, Um, you know. This is something that when they release that proposed rule, the unintended consequences are also going to be big, just in as much as, you know, so the example, when I spoke with Azim Chowdhury, uh, a regulatory expert for this, his point was, you know, some of the interest in this comes from, uh, there's, I, I believe it's Century 22. Um, there are cigarettes out there that are lower. Oh, the nicotine. VLN cigarettes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So these are lower nicotine cigarettes and they have done a good job at helping people reduce their overall levels of nicotine. So yeah. the FDA likely saw that and said, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could do this across the board? Now, the difference is, is that if you're a smoker and there's various nicotine levels out there and you're choosing the lower nicotine one, you're probably invested in choosing to consciously reduce your nicotine consumption. Right. That is not true for the entirety of the smoking population, right? Mm-hmm. So the question is, if somebody is used to getting X amount of nicotine per cigarette and suddenly Mm -hmm. that's cut in half, are they just going to smoke twice as much? And then it's a hardship on a lower income population, which is not a very regulatory uh, or politically positive, you know, move to kind of hit the lower class. So there's just a lot going on here. And unfortunately, until we see what and how they're going to go about doing this, I have no idea. Um, Other than it's really important for us as an industry who understands the smoking consumer to share our perspective and feedback on that. Um, You know, I sit there and say, oh, this will be great. My sales are going to double overnight because you're still going to charge the same tax. Uh, But that's effectively, you know, that's possibly where this is going. So it'll be really interesting to see. Um, But I have no predictions, no ideas on (laughs) how. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's anyone's guess. But but I think to your point about the comments, too, we know, you know, that FDA is required to solicit public feedback on any of these rules. And like we saw for the menthol cigarette and cigar ones, I I think it was something of like 250,000 comments. And of course, some of those were for, some were against, I'm sure. But they received a ton of comments on those. So I'm I'm sure many of those issues you point to would would come up too. Um, But it's not at that point quite yet until until we see the rules. So more to come. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I also, you know, feel like something top of mind for everyone is kind of the this blitz the FDA has been going on recently targeting illegal 
illegal disposable e-cigarette sales. Um, it sent out 29 letters to in May to retailers and one distributor, um, basically for selling products that haven't been authorized under the PMTA yet. Um, we have seen them go after retailers like this before, but I, I feel like it's been mostly suppliers that or the manufacturers themselves that they're going after. So I think this one was a little striking in that sense. Um, yeah. What do you think? Who do you think the FDA is targeting here? Or what should retailers expect from this? Yeah. So first and foremost, I have to say, I'm not a lawyer, so don't take your legal <laughs> advice from me. Um, NAC and NATO and your in-house attorneys, uh, they're the ones that can properly assess your risk level on this. But you are correct. Um, you know, the FDA has limited enforcement, um, you know, mechanisms at their disposal uh, for a lot of this. They outsource to the state and local government. So it's a really difficult thing for them to enforce this, especially with so many products on the market. Um, you know, so technically speaking, only 23 products have that PMTA approval when it comes to vape. Um, yeah, not a lot. Not a lot. No, it's not a lot. None of them are flavored. And, you know, but further muddying the waters is that there's a number of products out there that have been granted stays for their marketing denial orders. And so those are allowed to be sold. And it's really difficult to figure out what is 100% in the clear, what is in the clear because of the courts, and also what people are just selling and kind of taking that risk, um, especially because the FDA did have that enforcement discretion policy that for a set amount of time, they were allowing products to stay on the market, including flavored disposables, while the PMTAs were being evaluated. Um, and But that has expired across the board. Um, so technically speaking, almost every flavored disposable is not allowed, but they haven't really enforced that yet. Right. So I don't have a clear answer on how many, if any, convenience retailers were targeted as part of that blitz, but it is a safe assumption because the majority of disposable e-cigs are sold at convenience. Mm -hmm. um, but what is important to remember here is that it was not fines, it was warning letters that were issued. So each retailer right. was given 15 days to kind of respond and say, here's what we're gonna do about this. So even in that worst case scenario, you're not looking at a fine, you're not looking at you know, any kind of legal action, so long as you say, okay, I know now that I can't sell these, I'll pull them mm -hmm. off the shelf. So it's really just the cost of the inventory, um, which hopefully, you know, most retailers have been advised if you're going to carry this stuff to find out one, if the supplier partner has submitted a PMTA, kind of where it stands on that, yeah. and two, what their buyback policy is on if something like this happens. There's so many players in the market. I can't guarantee that they're all going to be like willing to participate. But that's kind of if you're going to play in the disposable space, um, not my legal advice, just from talking to legal experts, that's kind of where people should stand. Yeah, yeah, I know just from talking to C-Store retailers myself, they're doing their due diligence and asking those questions like you mentioned. Um, and I know that, um, you know, 
uh, I think believe it's NATO and um, a lot of the associations are asking the FDA um, to be a little more transparent. Um, right now, maybe some retailers are familiar with their website, but they have kind of an Excel sheet you can download and it says the company name, but doesn't go into the specifics of the product. You know, they've been saying, just ask your manufacturer. Um, so uh, I'm not sure. I mean, they've been asking for quite a while for a more specific <laughs> list, so I'm not sure what the FDA will do about that. But but yeah, hopefully in the future, they'll be able to get that together. I mean, I guess in their defense, there there are a ton of products, right? It's hard to keep track of these companies. There's millions of products. So I see the challenge, but but retailers need to know, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's a hard, it's, I understand. It's rare that I say this for FDA, <laughs> but I understand both sides of this. You got to remember yeah, the, yeah. the Center for Tobacco Products was created back in like 2009 when vape wasn't really a Thing. So it's yeah, one thing changed. to evaluate cigar products and cigarettes and smokeless, but then you bring vape into the market and it's just a huge undertaking. And I don't think their funding has been increased to cover all of this. Um, but yeah. you're right. Retailers need to be able to know what they can and can't sell. Um, and it's just not easy on that spreadsheet to decipher. Definitely. Um, I wanted to ask, because you've also covered, you know, alternative products like kratom and cannabinoids like CBD, um, as well as, you know, marijuana, THC products, so which C-stores currently can't sell. Um, but that could be changing in Minnesota. Is that right? Uh, so, tell me more about what you know. So Minnesota is a very interesting scenario. Yeah. They kind of passed this edibles legalization um, very much under the radar. I've heard different rumors that it was by accident. Mm. Um, a lot of the, the, the regulators didn't realize what they were approving or not, but it has gone into effect. And basically my understanding of it is that any retailer can sell THC edibles, and that includes beverages, so long as there are a couple check marks, you know, including namely a set amount of THC per serving and per package. Um, I believe that's five milligrams per serving and 50 milligrams per package. Um, but there are retailers in Minnesota currently selling CBD or not CBD, THC. Yeah. And um, my understanding is Louisiana maybe has a similar law. I, I'm not as familiar, but yeah, I don't know what they're doing kind of under the radar. Um, but that's huge, right? This has yeah. not been anything that any non-dispensary, non-licensed retailer has been allowed to sell. And in fact, any retailer that sells things other than cannabis has not been allowed to partake in this space in any state. And I know it's something that NAX has been advocating for. Yeah. Um, so it kind of snuck in under the radar with this edibles law, except that Minnesota just passed their adult use law. And that also seems like it is going to allow retailers, including convenience stores, to sell cannabis products. Um, so I just, I find this fascinating and I think it is a huge opportunity for our industry to show that we can responsibly play in this space. And, you know, tobacco yeah. has proven we're really good at age verification, which is the biggest concern around cannabis products, right? Yeah, definitely. So 
I'm I'm watching it closely, but yeah, I know I know a number of convenience retailers that in Minnesota specifically that jumped all over it and it is doing very, very well. Wow. Because THC is what people are familiar with and feel the effect of most mm-hmm. prominently. Um, and that's, you know, I think a little bit why CBD has struggled since coming out of the gate really strong is that yeah. it, it's not, it does not have that kind of immediate effect, right? It's more of a functional, you take it more like a vitamin. And when you're paying that kind of price point, people want to feel the effect and THC is one that they can feel right away and they understand it. So uh, I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah, I think it'll be a great uh, case study of sorts, you know, if it more and more do start carrying those kind of products. But um, we know, obviously, not everyone can carry those. So uh, what have you seen or heard of success in C stores that um, carry things like Kratom and, and CBD? I know we mentioned like maybe hasn't been taking off how people think. So I'm curious what you think, where you think there's the most opportunity for C stores for these kind of products. Sure. So the trend I've seen across the board for the past year or two is really in those, if not intoxicating, kind of, you can feel the effects products. I'll call them effects products. Um, So that's part of why Kratom is doing really well. It's why Delta 8 is doing well. Um, You know, smaller numbers on products like Delta 9, Delta 10, um, you know, they're all of the kind of (laughs) acronyms out there. But, you know, what it's really coming down to, at least on the the across the board data, is which which products are distributors carrying. Um, And that's part of why Kratom and Delta 8 are doing so well right now. Um, Other than CBD, those are the most prominent alternative products that traditional C-store distributors are offering. So I think as more alternative products enter that kind of traditional route to market, we might see some bigger gains. And I'm sure individual retailers that are going through alternative channels to get these products, so direct from the manufacturer, online, out of somebody's car trunk, they're doing really well because consumers want to feel that effect um, Mm -hmm. and are willing to experiment. So they're great impulse products, Um, you know, and I think we're going to see a lot more interplay between the different ones. So, for example, um, something I'm really excited about is CBN, which is the sleepy cannabinoid. So it really helps okay, with sleep. I've it really helps with yeah. pain. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a friend who suffered from endometriosis, so terrible cramping. And this yeah. really, really helped her. Um, more so than opioids. And obviously you can't market it that way, but I think from what I've heard, there are manufacturers out there that are combining CBN and CBD or CBN and Delta 8 for kind of this package product of different functional needs. So I think as we learn more about the different cannabinoids, and remember there's hundreds of them out there. So I think we're only just scratching the surface, but what I'll be watching is for those kind of effects-driven alternatives. And Kratom certainly is one of those as well, even though it's not part of cannabis. It is a plant-based product that has, if not immediate effects, noticeable effects. Yeah, I feel like what you're saying with the kind of 
marketing the effects is it's a, a trend I'm seeing across, you know, beverages and other products too. Obviously CBD companies and they have to be careful about the claims they make, but, you know, saying, take this for sleep, take this for pain, yeah. take this for energy. Um, and really any category I think is yes. a, a trend we're seeing consumers just want to know, you know, what's this going to do for me right now? Um, so yeah, that they can market it that way. I think they could have some success. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was really all the questions I had for you. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? No. Um, I mean, I could obviously go on for days, so <laughs> I'll cut myself off. But yeah, I'm ex- overall, I am excited to see where this category and space evolves to. Um, and I think already, you know, I've been covering this for a little over a decade and the back bar already looks drastically different And it's exciting to see retailers embrace so wholeheartedly, uh, you know, alternative products. When I when I did the first story on cannabis for CSP back when Colorado and Washington legalized, nobody would go on the record about it because nobody wanted to be that that suggested selling weed uh, to their CEO. And now we're seeing NACs advocate for it. We're seeing major retailers, um, you know, like Couchard advocating for it in Canada to be a part of that space. So it's just, it's very exciting to see the evolution of this behind the counter space. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Melissa, for talking with me today. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Hannah. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Arriba! You don't need another burrito. You need a better burrito. Tres picosos. Elevate your Mexican food service program to give your customers a quality, authentic Mexican burrito. Tres Picosos. T-R-E-S-P-I-C-O-S-O-S.